and understanding God's will. I'm sure that all of us who are serious about the Christian walk with God would jump at the chance of serving the Lord if we only knew what He wanted us to do. We assume that once we find out what God wants us to do, our lives will be smooth sailing from that point on. After all, God called me into some sort of a ministry or a major decision like marriage, going to a certain school, a job to take. Should I become a missionary or quit my job and go to school to get some theological training? But I know that if God calls me, he will smooth out the way ahead of me. This statement is only partially true. It is a wonderful experience when God clearly directs you in a way that you should go after you're facing a major decision in life. But the road ahead is not always so enjoyable after God calls you or leads you into a new experience. Here's a few sayings from Chuck Swindoll about God's will. Number one, you, your call will become clear as, you, as your mind is transformed by the reading of Scripture and the internal work of, the Spirit, of God's Spirit. The Lord never hides His will from us in time as you obey the call first to follow. Your destiny will unfold before you. The, the difficulty will, be, will lie in keeping other concerns from diverting your attention. Number two, God doesn't work on our timetable. He has a plan that He will execute perfectly for the highest, greatest good of all and for His ultimate glory. Number three, when we pray in God's will, two great principles are in play, God's glory and our good. Number four, everything is possible with God and nothing is impossible with God. We have in the New Testament an example of God calling a group of people and directing them clearly in the way they should go. Unfortunately, when they began the journey to follow God's will, things got very rough. We'll look at, we'll look at their experience and then draw some, some lessons from it. Here's the story. Jesus told the disciples to do something. He had a program for them in Matthew 14, 22. Here's what verse 22 says. Immediately Jesus made the disciples begin in the boat and go before him to the other side. This is how I always wish God would direct my life. You will note that it was Jesus himself who told the disciples to get into the boat and head to the other side of the sea of Galilee. The instruction was crystal clear. The leading of the Lord, his will for the disciples was to get into the boat and go to the other side. What happens next? What happens next? From Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. When evening came, Jesus was alone, but the boat by this time was a long ways from the land, beaten by waves in the wind, and, was, and the wind was against them. What is interesting is that Jesus knew the disciples were headed for a big storm, yet he let them go anyway. There was a lesson that Jesus wanted to teach the disciples about surviving through the storms of life, and one surefire way of connecting this lesson to their minds was to send them into a storm in the will of God. What was the lesson the disciples were to learn? Matthew 14, 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the, on the sea, they were terrified and, and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. The lesson of trusting Jesus in the storms would come in handy for all the disciples who would face difficulties in their future lives and ministries. The words, Do not be afraid, would serve them well in the future. Now, liberal interpreters fuss over this story in saying that a man cannot walk on water. This is true. Peter proved it. In Matthew 14, 28, the Bible says, And Peter said, Lord, if, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. A man cannot walk on water, but Jesus can. He's the God of the... Uh, he's a God in the flesh and was able to perform miracles, so why not walk on water? Second liberals say, how can the Sea of Galilee produce such a storm? That answer is easy also. The Sea of Galilee is between two great weather makers. First, 
the desert-like conditions of the east of the Sea of Galilee on a high plateau. The second big weather maker is the Mediterranean Sea to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Winds often race from the hot desert east of the sea to the cooler waters of the Mediterranean Sea. <clears throat> As the winds rush from the high desert, the weather drops down to the Sea of Galilee and smacks the water as the winds go from east to west. If you've ever been in a swimming pool and smacked the water with your hand, you can see the big splash that it creates. The lake is situated deep in the Great Rift Valley. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake on Earth and is the second lowest lake in the world after the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is 695 feet below sea level. Due to its low-lying position in the Rift Valley, surrounded by hills, the sea is prone to sudden violent storms. The Sea of Galilee is small, and these winds may descend directly to the center of the lake with violent results. When the contrasting air mass meets, a storm can arise quickly with, without warning. Small boats caught out in the sea are in immediate danger. The Sea of Galilee is relatively shallow, only 200 feet at its greatest depth. A shallow, a shallow lake is whipped up by winds more rapidly than deep water, where energy is more readily absorbed. Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee from a major storm, connecting the lessons to the disciples' minds. Three things in conclusion. Number one, Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat, even though he knew a storm was coming. Two, a big storm blew up and threatened the lives of the disciples who cried to Jesus for help. Three, Jesus saved them and said, don't be afraid. This story works against the view that all will be, that in the will of God, all will be smooth sailing. Actually, life seems to be harder on Christians than on non-Christians. Why is this? God is pruning, pruning Christians to be more like Jesus and less like the world. Non-Christians seem no, so nonchalant about the world and sin. God is pruning Christians to give, give him more glory and to live a life more, more victoriously. The, the road of God's will is hard, but in the end it is well worth the temporary setbacks that we face in life. Realize that being in the will of God may be more difficult, but the lessons that we learn in such situations we can agree with the Apostle Paul who said, quote, all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your will. We thank you for sustaining us in the difficulties we face in life, even if you've called us into a particular ministry. 